we are continuing our sermon through Matthew. I've, I, I think I've been saying to uh, a lot of the people here and, you know, the, the other congregations, uh, Fullerton and Whittier and Brea, we're all going through the book of Matthew together. And what we do every week as preachers, we get together and we talk about what we're going to preach, go through the you know, exposition of the scripture. And I think all of us were like, are we done with Matthew yet? It feels like it's been like five years, you know? Southlands Chino's only been going for a year and a half. We're like, I get it. All right, Matthew. Yes, yes, okay. But man, we're going to be faithful. We're going to continue to go through verse by verse, it feels like. And even when the, the, the scripture isn't um, fun, and uh, sometimes, you know, you listen to a sermon and you're like, I feel so good about myself today. Um, Man, that's not really the point of why we, we preach scripture, is, is to, to cause us to bring growth in our life. And um, so, that's what we're gonna do this morning. <laughs> so you with me? You ready? We're doing this, we're plowing along, we're gonna continue to do what Jesus has called us to do through the scriptures. Um, now, if, if you remember what we talked about a couple weeks ago, is this story of Jesus cursing the fig tree because it wasn't bearing any fruit. It had the appearance like it should be bearing fruit, but it was, it was green with leaf, but there was no figs on the fig tree. He curses the fig tree, and then he turns over the tables in the temple in the outer courts where was meant to be a place of prayer for all nations. And you see this, you see Jesus very upset about what uh, the nation of Israel, what the temple had become. And we're gonna pick up today on this, and, and I wanna just paint you this picture before we get into the text this morning, imagine if you will, if you owned your home, and uh, I came up to your house, and uh, I just decided, I don't like the way your patio is set up. And so, you know, you might have this Target furniture, it's outdoor patio, and I'm like, man, that stuff's junk, get that out of here, right? And I just start hauling off your furniture, and I dump it in the dumpster. And, and you know, and you wait, maybe you have some plants set out, or maybe your little garden gnomes. Who's got a garden gnome? Anybody have a garden gnome? All right, only, only one person brave enough to admit they have a garden gnome. I know most of you have these little garden gnomes. Um, you know, and I start like, I start taking your garden gnomes, and I'm like, breaking them, and, and you know, and then I don't stop there. I walk into your house and I sit your kids down or your family and I start telling them stuff that you don't particularly appreciate and I start rearranging your furniture in your house. I mean, most of us would be like, what the heck, who's this guy? Stop it, right, is what we would say. Knock it off, we'd be like, get out of here. And that's kind of what Jesus is doing here with the temple. He goes into the outer courts. He observes all these things that are happening. He turns over the tables. He starts teaching stuff that the religious leaders at the time hate and detest. They're like, man, this is ruining our way of life. You're messing up our system. Get the heck out of here. And then what we're gonna have here, well, let's just read it in Matthew chapter 21. If you have your Bibles, eh, turn with me there. It's on page 826. You're welcome. Okay. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, uh, it, the words will be up on the screen. And this is what it says in Matthew chapter 21, verses 23 through 27. And when he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? 
Jesus answered them, I also will ask you one question, and if you tell me the answer, then I also will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, from where did it come? From heaven or from man? And they discussed it among themselves, saying, if we say from heaven, he will say to us, why then did you not believe in him? But if we say from man, we are afraid of the crowd, for they all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we do not know. And he said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things then, right? <laughs> I just love Jesus. Man, I just, I, we're, we're not going to preach on that, this aspect about Jesus, but I just, don't you just love Jesus that he's just, he's just, he's just so real, right? Uh, he's not this aloof kind of like pious God who like seems so unattainable. I love his interaction with the authorities that would seem. So here they, they have this question. They said, what, who gave you this authority to come in here and to turn over the tables and to teach the people in the temple what you are teaching them? What they're, they're not really asking a question. What they're really saying is, you have no right. You have no authority. Who said you could do this? It'd be, man, if I came into your house and started changing everything up, what would you do? You'd be like, who is this? Um, excuse me for a moment to give you this little illustration, but I think it's a good example. If you're not into sports, just take my word for it. But if you ever see um, like the, the NFL films or you see the pregame, like when they're doing the introduction, and now number 23, was Michael Jordan number 23? Was that? Yeah, yeah, see? He, he, if you don't know who Michael Jordan is, he's like the greatest basketball player of all time. Um, anyways, and they announce, and then the, the team, they come running out, and they're putting on this big show. And then what they do is they get together, and if you're the home team, this is what the home team, the one who's hosting the, op, the opposing team, they get in a rally, and what, there's like a team captain, and what he does, they're like getting all pumped up, right? Who, who, who's going to win this game? We're going to win this game. And then they say something like this, whose house is this? This is our house, right? Whose house? It's our house. Whose house? It's our house. They're declaring nobody's going to come in here and mess up things for us. We own this place. Some outsider going to try to come in here and show us how to play basketball, show us how to, how, to, how to play football, whatever it is. This is our house. And don't you dare come in here and change things. And that's what the religious leaders are doing at the time. They're coming in, whose house is this? Ooh, it's our house. <laughs> now you imagine all these Pharisees jumping around in a circle. <laughs> whose house is this? <laughs> what we see in this portion of scripture is really something that's in our hearts. Often what we do with scripture is we like to make ourselves the hero, right? We, we read about David and Goliath and we go, oh, we're the Davids. We're, we're, you know, we could preach a message. We're going to find three stones and three, three things about who we are. We're great and we're strong and we're not afraid. And no, what scripture does is it exposes the darkness in our hearts. And what we have to ask ourselves this morning, the question is, 
man, where do I tell Jesus, this is my house, Jesus. How dare you come into my house and rearrange the furniture? How dare you come into my house and tell me what's up? It's my house. I'm not trying to accuse anybody because I'm pointing the finger at myself this morning. But I do it. We all do it. And my encouragement to us as a church this morning is allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Areas of your heart where you're like, man, this is my way, my will. And what, what the Pharisees are doing is they are questioning the authority of Jesus. Right? They say, who in the world give you the right to come in here and mess up the way we like it. So, like every good preacher, I'm going to give us three ways that we tend to tell Jesus, this is our house, Jesus. This is my way. First one is, what the Pharisees do here, obviously, is they, they question they question the authority of Jesus. See, here's how it works. For us who have put our hope and faith in Jesus, some, most of us here would say, yeah, I'm a Christian. Uh, I, I consider myself a disciple of Jesus. Maybe you're not. Maybe, maybe you're exploring the Christian faith, and you're here, and you're, you're wanting to find out what does it mean to be a Christian. Let me, let me just uh, tell you a little secret. If you aren't a Christian here this morning, Christians, even though sometimes they act like they're perfect, they're not. And we wrestle all the time, like feet in two canoes, say, man, I wanna do it my way, but then God's calling me to do it this way. And all of Christian, all of Christian life is a total, complete, an ongoing surrender of our heart over to God. And this is why, this is how it happens for those of us who are Christians. What we do is we sit here on a Sunday morning, we listen to the sermon, and we sit under the authority of Scripture, and we listen to it and we go, yeah, that's good. Yeah, I understand that. And God speaks to us through Scripture. Or, Maybe you're praying in the week and the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart and says, I want you to start doing this. I want you to start, um, I want you to start telling your neighbor uh, the good news about Jesus. Or maybe it's something where the Holy Spirit speaks to you and says, I want you to stop doing this in your life. You know, you're actually spending too much time doing X, Y, and Z. And although the scripture doesn't say it's sin per se, I, I, have, I have more for you than this, and I want you to start giving your heart over to that. And we, at that moment, who call ourselves Christians, make a decision whether we are going to accept the authority of God in our lives or whether we're going to kind of go our own way and say, this is our house. This is my house. How dare you, God, kind of come into my world and tell me what I need to do? And that's what the religious Pharisees were doing at the time. There's no way that Jesus would want me to be miserable, would in no way wants to challenge me or call me to a life that causes me to feel sad 
or causes me to be challenged or causes me to do things that I preferably I, I don't have a preference for. There's no way God would do that. I have to believe in a God who would call me to want to live a life of happiness. I, I believe in a God who calls me that everything's gonna work out for me and this is gonna be my best life now. Everything I do is gonna be a blessing to me. That Jesus who calls me to a life of challenge, who calls me to lay down my furniture and rearrange it however he wants, to put the plants where he wants, that's not the Jesus that I wanna follow. I wanna follow the Jesus that says, do whatever you wanna do. And we question whether Jesus is really God or not. We may not actually say those things in our head. Jesus isn't really totally God. No. But we do it by our actions. Right? This goes all the way back to the garden. Dawn of creation. God creates man and woman. And God says, be fruitful, multiply. Do all the, he gives them commands. He gives them all these blessings. And he says, but of the tree of good and evil, of, of, of knowledge, you shall not eat of that tree. You can eat of everything else. And what does the enemy come and do? And comes up to them and deceives and says, did God really say? And we do the same thing over and over. Did God really say that he wants you to stop doing that. I mean, pick up your Bible. It's not, it doesn't say that anywhere that you can't do that. It's not really sin. Did God really say to you he wants you to go and speak to your neighbor about Jesus? I mean, did you hear an audible voice? You probably didn't. That was probably your imagination. You can kind of chill. And we sit there with our feet in both canoes and go, Oh God, I don't like your canoe. <laughs> My flesh doesn't like this because if I get in this one, it looks like I could see a lot of rapids down the air. I could see in the future this is gonna be a challenge and I'd actually prefer this one where this nice little river kind of just does what I like it to do. And we question the authority of Jesus. Number two, you guys doing okay? Man, I feel like I'm being real intense. Sorry. You guys okay? Should I just like mellow out a little bit? Like, my wife said a little bit. Okay. I had a cup of coffee. Man, who made the coffee today? It was strong. <laughs> Thanks, Angie. It's Angie's fault, guys. That I'm also... What else do we do when uh, we don't like the authority of Jesus? Well... Let's, let's continue reading. And just so you know, this whole portion of Scripture, what we're doing today, you see example over example, example again and again and again, where the religious leaders are trying to get the answer they want. And we see here, continued in chapter 22, uh, verses 15 through 22, it's about paying taxes. Wow, it's tax season. You guys ready for this one? Everybody's like, nah, exit now if you don't want to hear this. Verse 15 of chapter 22 says, Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him, Jesus, in his talk. And they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians saying, Teacher, we, listen to this like nonsense. Teacher, we know that you are, I mean, sorry. I just imagine this is like, if you're watching a cartoon, these are like the snakes. 
If it's a cartoon with a bunch of animals that talk, these are the snakes that come up and like, right? Okay, that's a snake. Okay. Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully. And you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearance. Man. Tell us then, what you think, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said, Caesar's. And he said to them, Therefore, and we all know this scripture, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard it, they marveled, and they left him and went away. So they, they try to trap Jesus in this like really kind of, you know, um, hard to answer question. And then Jesus, you know, knowing how, what they're doing, they're trying to butter him up, right? And he knows that they're evil. There's these serpent snakes in their minds. And he just answers them in a way where they, they're like, ah, uh, ah, okay. And when we don't want to listen to the authority of Jesus, what we often do is like when you're a kid, you change the subject. Now, this is a tricky portion of scripture because what I don't want us to get caught up here this morning is on the this, well, should I pay taxes if my tax money is going to something that's more? I don't want, we can get into that in a different sermon. I get that. There is truth in that this morning. But what I want us to see for us who call ourselves Christians is this thing that when we are confronted with the truth of what God's called us to do, what we tend to do in our sinful flesh nature sometimes is to change the subject. And you see what they're doing here is saying, well, let's go ask Jesus what he thinks about injustice. I know Let's go do something that would appear on the outside like we're really concerned about the things that God's concerned about. And don't we do this? We, we, we join on some social cause. Social justice is a big thing, right? So if you're a millennial, you're like, man, we gotta be doing this and this and this and this. And yeah, totally. We should be showing the hands and feet of Jesus to those around us. But at the expanse of our hearts not being transformed? No. And so that's what they're doing. They're saying, Jesus has exposed the wickedness of my heart. I know. Let's get him talking about something that will make us appear like we really care about what God cares about. Injustice. Man, we see it with politicians, right? How many politicians stand on a platform of a high moral value? We're going to drain the swamp. We're going to expose all the, the wickedness. We're going to do this and this. And I stand for all the things that are good. I stand for everything that's righteous. And then what happens? So-and-so got caught cheating on their spouse. So-and-so was found in a bathroom stall doing X, Y, and Z. So-and-so, there's this scandal. And it's not just politicians, it's in the church. I would be afraid to ask you to raise your hand here this morning for those who have experienced being in a church where a leader fell morally. Because a lot of us would raise our hands. I would too. Why does that stuff happen? Because we do what the Pharisees did. 
as we pretend. It's the fig tree all over again, right? It's we look green and lush on the outside, but we don't let God deal with the inside and we reject his authority from our hearts. And we say, like the proverbial parent, do as I say, not as I do. There's this disconnect between us surrendering our hearts us surrendering our lives to the authority of Jesus, even when he says something that's hard, even when he says something like, take up your cross and follow me. Even when he says, if you don't hate your father, your mother, your brother, your sister, in comparison to your love for me, you cannot be my disciple. Even when he says, you should eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, most of us go, I'm out. That's weird. And we have to say, no, I need to surrender my life to the authority of Jesus, even when he says hard stuff. Oh, boy. All right, last one. And I I think... What we need to do this morning is, uh, my hope, man, is that God is, is, is speaking to our, our hearts this morning. I am going to call us to respond this morning, all right? Just giving you a heads up, all right? Uh, and, and just saying, Lord, where are the areas of my life that I, I reject your authority? Where I, I, yeah, I do all the good Christian things, but I'm not really listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit to make me more like Jesus. So number three, this is a big one is we create our own version of Jesus. Man. Look at this in Matthew chapter 22. We're going to go back a little bit here. Verses 41 through 46. Jesus has had these conversations. They say, by what authority? And then they try to distract him by talking about taxes. There's even a part in here where they change the subject and they talk about marriage in heaven. Right? And they, they say like, well, if somebody gets married and then the, the, the husband dies and she gets remarried and then that husband dies, she gets remarried and then that husband dies, she gets remarried and then that husband dies. Man, now just, if you're considering marrying that woman, you might want to think about like all the other guys. That's a black widow, okay? That's a whole other sermon in itself. But they try to distract him with all this kind of stuff and, and then we get to verse 22 is that where we're at? Yeah, verse 22, he says this. Now, this is the first time where Jesus kind of throws the question back at them. All these other times, they're trying to trap Jesus and see if they can get an answer they like. You know, it's like, my, my kid, I, I think you've heard me say this before, but my kids will come up to me and ask me a question, and I give them an answer, and then they're all mad about the question, I, about the answer. They're like, that can't be the answer, Right? That can't be what you want me to do. And I'm like, well, why in the world did you ask me then if you don't want to hear the answer? And that's what the Pharisees are doing here. But then Jesus, now he's like, all right, I'm going to go on the offensive and I'm going to prove a point to you guys. And this is what he says in chapter 22, verses 41 through 46. Now, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question saying, what do you think about the Christ? Basically saying, well, who do you think I am? 
Whose son is he? Interesting question. They said to him, the son of David. Okay, so let me just explain. Jesus is saying, whether you believe that I'm the Messiah or not, whether you believe that I'm the anointed one or not, what do you think that anointed one, when he comes, who will he be? And the Pharisees answer in a very uh, scriptural way. They said to him, the son of David, which means, remember we learned this in, in Matthew in the beginning where we understood where Jesus' lineage comes from and we talked about how he is from the line of David, which proves that he is the king, the Messiah. And then in verse 43, it says, and he said to them, how is it then that David in the spirit calls him Lord saying, and he's quoting the Psalms, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day did anyone dare ask him any more questions. So Jesus just drops the mic, right? Just like, boom. Now, for those of us who are a little confused about what's happening here, let me just explain it to you. David, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, has written some scripture for us. He's written the book of Psalms. And in that, David knows he is the king. David is the king of Israel. Yet he's speaking about the lineage that is to come from himself. And what does David attribute to the son who will come from his lineage about who he will be. He calls him the Lord. He calls the Messiah God, even knowing that it's going to come from his lineage. Now, what's the point, Kelly? What are you trying to say about this thing about authority and Jesus and sometimes we wrestle with? What we do is we create God in our own image. And David, Jesus referring to him says, David didn't even do that. How can David say, I am the Lord being a king, but yet call the one who is to come the ultimate king? It's because David understood that that one who comes is the ultimate king will have ultimate authority. And no matter whether he comes from my lineage which I would want to subject my authority over him because I'm the dad in the situation. I understand the way that God's orchestrated it, that the Messiah will come from my lineage and he will be God incarnate. And folks, what we do in our lives is what we try to do is we try to reverse this scripture somehow. When things are inconvenient for us to be Christians, what we do is we say, I don't really like that version of who Jesus is. I don't really like the fact that God has said, I need to surrender all of my life. I like the Jesus who says, take my yoke upon me and learn of me, for it's easy and light. And it's true, but we turn our eyes blindly away from the hard things. And we say, no, Jesus, I like you when you're little baby Jesus, when you're in the manger, and you have this little halo. And for some reason, you don't even... Make poopy diapers. I like that Jesus. But we can't do that with Jesus. You know what it is? It's, it's what this world does today. It says, well, I can't believe in a God who would allow innocent people to suffer. 
I can't believe in a God who would allow tragedy and world events to take place like they were. Therefore, he must not be truly who he says he is. Therefore, I don't need to submit my life to that kind of God. God's God. God is not subject to your understanding of who he is. We are subject to who the truth of God is. And when those moments come where I don't like the kind of God who would call me to a life of surrender, who would call me to a life that lays down my life, who calls me to serve in the church because he's first served me, I don't like it. You know what God says? I don't care. I am God. I demand your whole life. I demand everything from you. You thought before it was only uh, adultery if you actually committed the physical act. Well, I tell you now, if you look at somebody in your heart with a longing, that's adultery. You thought before if you actually physically murdered somebody with your hands or with a weapon or whatever, that that was murder. I'm going to tell you now something different, that if you hate your brother or sister, there's murder in your heart. I don't like that God. It doesn't matter. It's the truth. Here's how, you know what? Can I tell you a funny story? Just lighten the mood a second. Sure. Okay. You're welcome. Just an example of how we can get so far off in this stuff as Christians. I remember being in a meeting one time and me and a friend had to lovingly, and honestly, we tried our best lovingly to confront this person who was doing things that were really unhelpful in this meeting that we were part of. And you know what this person did while we were speaking to them? And I am not joking. I'm not exaggerating. Literally, as we were talking to them, said, hold on a second. Hold on. What's that, God? Oh, what? Okay. You know, God just told me I don't have to listen to you and what I'm doing is right. Okay. How do you argue with that, right? <laughs> now, you and I may not get so weird like that. <laughs> that's weird. That's, we- that's weird. All right. There's nobody here. Don't worry. <sighs> we laugh because it's funny. It's actually pretty sad because we do the same thing in our hearts. See, we weigh everything up as if somehow we're the judge. Well, I like that truth. I don't like that one. Uh, I prefer when that part of Jesus, but I don't prefer that part of Jesus. And what we're doing is when God says, hey, do this, we're like, oh, wait, wait, hold on. The Jesus I created, what does this Jesus create? Say, oh, this Jesus said to you, Jesus, I don't need to do that. So, mm. that's what we do. Here's, here's how we need to be. Look, go back to Matthew chapter 21. We'll end with this. Where am I? This is how Jesus answered the religious guys who were telling him, hey, what kind of authority? Who gave you, who said you could be the boss? Right? I was about to tell a boss story about Savannah, but I'm not going to do that right now. You're welcome, Savannah. Love you. 
Matthew chapter 21, verses 28, Jesus answers them with a parable. And he says this, why do you think, what do you think? A man had two sons, and he went to the first and said, son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. Okay. But afterward, he changed his mind and went. Verse 30, and when, and he went to the other son and said the same and answered, this is what the son said, I'll, I'll go. I go, sir. Like, I'm going to go. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said, the first. Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, the tax collectors, okay, so now Jesus is about to blow their mind. He's going to give them two people who are considered like evil, scum, uh, Benedict Arnold, betrayers of the faith and of the, of the nation. Uh, they said, the, uh, truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. Yeah. For John came to you in the way of righteousness and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors, coincidentally, Mac, Matthew was a tax collector, he's writing this gospel. Uh, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. And Christianity is hard. Anybody tells you Christianity is just easy is lying. Anybody who preaches to you a Jesus who's just here to make your life better is a false teacher. <laughs> It's hard, and I get it. We all wrestle with this. But I would be amiss this morning if I didn't preach to you the whole gospel that says because Jesus laid down his life for you, he died a death that you and I deserved, and he paid a price that we couldn't pay with our own blood and our own flesh, because he did all of this, if I weren't to tell you what that requires is the same kind of obedience of laying your life down, then I would be amiss. I would be a false teacher. But the beauty is, for those of us this morning, who Jesus would say, tax collector prostitute. I'm not looking at anybody when I do that. <laughs> Jesus would say, this is what you were guilty of. You were the son who when I said, go do this, you were like, uh-uh, I'm not going to do it. That doesn't gel with me, Jesus. It's not fitting into my timeline. I ain't trying, what do we, I ain't trying to hear that, right? But then through the loving kindness of who Jesus is, and when the cross is revealed to us, what happens is we go, oh, how can I not say yes to this Jesus, who is far more superior to me than I will ever hope to be, lays his life down. And then I turn and I say, you know what? Yes. You ask me something is hard, and I get it, it's hard, but I say yes to it. Woe to the religious who they hear it and go, nope, I'm out. Even though, 
even though I've seen the kindness and the gentleness and the grace and the compassion of the one who created the stars, lays down, even though I've seen it, I'm going to reject it. Woe to you. And that's where we lie this morning, friends. Two canoes, which one do we surrender to? Do we be guilty of what the Pharisees were? We know all this stuff. I get it. Jesus did all this, but that I don't like. Or do we allow the grace of the cross and the power of the cross to overwhelm us and say, Lord, I can do nothing else but surrender? It's like, Stella! Got nowhere else to go! Some of you guys don't even know what I'm talking about. It's all right. <laughs> Will you stand with me this morning? Man, so I warned you. I told you I'm going to call us to response this morning. And... But... Uh, I don't want to do the religious thing, you know, I don't want to make it, but here's what I'm just going to ask you to do. Let's just say, God, will you just do whatever you want in me this morning, okay? Maybe, maybe this morning you've never surrendered to the authority of Jesus, and you've been thinking about it, and this message, you like, you know, I've never, the gospel of, of Jesus, maybe this is new for you, and the beautiful thing is, this morning, you can surrender to not just a God who demands all of your life in a religious, you can do this and you can't do this kind of way, a God who not just calls us to a life that is righteous and pure and holy, but a God who did it for us on our behalf. And when Christianity's hard, gives us the power to do what he's called us to do. Our God doesn't just say, hey, do this and then figure it out on your own. That's the beauty about our Jesus. He says, do this, and I understand it's going to be hard for you. I'm going to help you do this. I'm not just going to let you figure it out. I will, if you ask me, I will give you the power to do what I've asked you to do. Maybe you're here this morning, and today you can surrender your life to that power. You can surrender your life to that love. You can give yourself over to the one who did all the hard stuff for you so that when it's hard for you, he'll still help you. Maybe you're on the other side of that this morning, like me, someone who calls himself a disciple of Jesus, trying to do your best uh, every day and, and you know, make, you're trying to make much of Jesus all the time, but it's hard and you have maybe dug your heels in the sand this morning and said, man, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, but this I'm not comfortable with. Man, we all need to surrender this morning. So here's what I'm going to ask. Will you, just where you're at, maybe close your eyes, just say, God, show me where I'm not surrendering my heart and authority to you. Now, now God in his faithfulness has probably revealed something to you. If you're wondering, that's, this is kind of how prayer works. 
um, God speaks to us. It may not be audible. Sometimes we see it in Scripture. Sometimes He just speaks to our heart. And then what our job is to do is say, okay, God, thank you for showing me this. Will you help me to do this? Because to be honest, I really don't want to do it and it's hard. Or maybe I'm afraid to do it. But will you now have a conversation with God and say, thank you for revealing this. Will you help me? Just just speak that to God. going to pray for us and then we'll we'll take communion together. Jesus, thank you that you have all authority. Jesus, thank you that you are fully man yet fully God. And when our desire sometimes wants to say whose house is this? It's our house. It's my house. Jesus, thank you that you you created a way for me to be able to like just lay that down at your feet and to surrender not to a God who's an ogre, but to a God who's loving and kind. And though you have a high bar, though you demand my whole life, you help us. Jesus, thank you for who you are. Jesus, as, we, as we're about to go to the communion table, we, we do this remembering what you did for us. The fact that we're able to surrender our lives to you and ask for help is because of what you did on the cross. And so as we go to communion this morning, Jesus, we do it with gratitude in our hearts, with a somberness of of the price you paid, but with a joy saying thank you. In your name, amen. Friends, let's respond right now in two ways. Let's, let's, Let's thank God for communion. What communion is, if you don't know, the little cracker represents the body of Jesus that was bruised and beaten for us. And it took upon itself our sin. The juice represents the blood of Jesus, which was spilt for us. And that blood of Jesus as Christians, we believe, washes us completely clean from any sin that we've committed or will commit. So let's go to the tables and thank him for that. Do it with a friend, a family member, do it by yourself if you want. And then, if you are a part of Southlands here, this is one way that we worship. We intentionally don't pass a bag on Sunday because we want to worship not only in when we sing and when we talk and when we smile at each other, but we want to worship in our finances and our giving because we know one, the mission is great, but Jesus is greater. And it's good for our souls when we give because it's worship. It causes us to, to surrender. And so we have giving little uh, boxes at the, at the tables here, and this is an opportunity for us to worship in our giving. So let's go to the tables, break communion together, give, and then the band will lead us in a song.